The views and opinions expressed on the Untold History Revealed podcast are solely those of the individual stating them and are not necessarily those of the Untold History Revealed owners. Now sit back and grab a cup of coffee or tea as we discuss some moments in history that may have been untold or forgotten. Another episode of Untold History Revealed starts now. Hi, gang, and welcome to another episode of Untold History Revealed. I am your host, Sean Donnelly. And I'm your co-host, Mary Ann Donnelly. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of us before, let me explain who we are, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. Uh, we are the owners of Dark Shadow Ghost Tours and PanicD.com. And uh, over the years, Marianne and I have done a lot of research as far as paranormal and historical and things of that nature. And had some travels around this great country of ours, and uh, we've collected a lot of different uh, different items and done a lot of research so we thought we would as a hobby put together this uh historical related podcast kind of record some things uh that you may not have heard of before um and kind of put it out there for future generations kind of explain that uh not everything you see in the movies is actually how history went down um so that's basically what untold history revealed is about uh we also have a uh companion uh blog site which is untoldhistoryrevealed.blogspot.com uh, where we'll make some posts uh, related to our podcast and things like that. So in this episode um, we are around the anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg and we're going to be talking about uh, one of our favorite topics which is uh, the Gettysburg Address. It seems like all of these are always one of our favorite topics. <laughs> You're right. I know. Well, that's the point of the podcast. <laughs> I guess we like this stuff. We're interested about yeah. it. We're throwing it out there, yeah. seeing if people are interested too. So, um, but the uh, Gettysburg Address, there's a there's a lot of misconceptions about it, um, and maybe this uh, podcast will clear some things up a little bit. Mm. Um, so this is coming out after. The podcast that we did about the two women related to the Gettysburg Battle, um, which was uh, Jenny Wade and uh, the Angel. What's her name? That would be Elizabeth Thorne. Elizabeth Thorne. Yeah. That was our last podcast. Um, so let's kind of like take it off from there. Uh, if you didn't listen to that one, go back and listen to that a little bit because... Uh, we're actually talking now about the National Cemetery. Um, if you if you don't know, the Battle of Gettysburg actually took place July first, second, and third. And you know, of course, in July in this region, it's quite hot. Uh, it rained a couple of the days of that battle, but uh, the aftermath was quite gruesome. Um, if you can imagine a small farm town, which is what Gettysburg was, uh, all through the town and the surrounding fields uh, were just bodies and carcasses laying everywhere. Uh, the population of the town at the time was basically women and children and some of the elderly men who could not go off to fight for war. So 
they were kind of put in charge of uh, most of the cleanup and um, in that hot sun baking out there in those fields were, were all these bodies uh, the the toll has been said to be 50,000 it's actually 50,000 missing wounded or killed I think the actual death toll was more around 20,000 or so something like that um, but you know right after the battle there was all the houses and everything that were taken over and made, turned into makeshift military hospitals and uh, you know if you got shot in the leg and they couldn't get it right out right away basically the leg came off same way with the arm and other appendages so those were laying around as well and uh, all this stuff had to go somewhere and be buried so they pretty much buried things where they lay and it wasn't until October of that year which we're talking 1863 that they finally decided you know what are we going to do with all these bodies because between July and October they had problems with you know what during the rain and stuff and there might be a hand or something that pops up out of the ground or you know domestic animals might run out and dig somebody up and bring them home for dinner or you know that kind of thing so they had to clean things up and uh this is when a committee was formed um i believe the head of the committee was david wills wasn't he the head of the committee or he was part of the committee he, i don't he remember part, I, he, I don't know that he was the head but but uh this committee proposed to the uh federal government of forming the National Cemetery. Um, now, we talked before in the last podcast about Evergreen Cemetery, which was on Cemetery Hill, but the National Cemetery was not there yet. So that could be construed as a little bit of a misconception that people believe that when they hear about the battles at Cemetery Hill, it was actually where the National Cemetery is now where they had the cannon brigades of uh, the Union Army. But uh, behind them was the actual Evergreen Cemetery. That's why they called it Cemetery Cemetery Ridge or Cemetery Hill. But uh, on that property is where this committee proposed to put the National Cemetery. And they began in October, uh, once they got approval, of moving the bodies from the fields and from backyards and places like that and uh, start burying them in the National Cemetery. Um, they even had an architect that come out and laid out the National Cemetery and, and things like that. And uh, This this blog, podcast is not about the National Cemetery. It's more about the Gettysburg Address, which basically that's not the name of the ceremony. This, the name of the ceremony was the consecration of the National Cemetery at Gettysburg. And this was supposed to take place, which it did, on November 19th of 1863. Right. Now, a lot of people call that the Gettysburg Address. That's not what it was. The Gettysburg Address was the speech given by Abraham Lincoln. So let me back up a little bit. We have David Wills, who's on this committee, and he's organizing the ceremony um so he lays out the program and one of the speakers that they asked to come was a professional orator 
and it, his name was Edward Everett. Yeah, he was the keynote. He was the keynote speaker, that's right. And then they had other bands that were playing hymns, and they had uh, a couple uh, ministers or reverends that that gave prayer and benediction and stuff like that. But <clears throat> Everett, Everett, he was the, the keynote. He was going to come out, give the speech. This is what he did for a living. Back then they had professional orators that traveled around the country and gave these speeches. So just as a little side thing, side note, they're like, well, maybe we ought to invite the president to come say a few words during the dedication. They really didn't think he was going to come. Right. They didn't expect him to show up. They're like, eh, the president's a little bit busy. Yeah. So um, David Wills, he writes to President Lincoln. And let me see if I can actually find the... Letter, yeah, but those words here. Um, he writes to President Lincoln, um, just saying, Hey, um, you know, by the way, we would be honored if, if you would come to the dedication of the National Cemetery here at Gettysburg. Um, actually, here's the words it says, It is the desire, the desire that after the oration, which was basically Edward Everett, um, you, as chief executive of the nation, firmly set apart these grounds to their sacred use by a few appropriate remarks. So that was part of the letter that he sent to him to say, oh, by the way, we have this other guy talking, you know, if you could make it, it would be great. Well, to their surprise, they get a response by Abraham Lincoln. He says, uh, yeah, I'll be there. I'm coming. So they're like, oh, okay. So they had to make preparations for the president to actually come, and it was a uh, it was a big deal. I mean, he he, he arrived by train. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it was the night before. Yes. He spent the night in uh, David, David Will's house. house. Yeah. And then there was like a massive, I guess, a parade from David Will's house to the National Cemetery with. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, it wasn't technically considered a parade. Uh, it was more of a um, just a journey. Yeah. But today we would think of it as a parade. Right. Um, so two and a half hours before President Lincoln spoke and gave the Gettysburg Address, one of the photographers there just happened to snap a picture of Abraham Lincoln and that picture which I'll talk about here in a little bit um, is basically one of two known photographs of Abraham Lincoln at Gettysburg during this consecration of the National Cemetery at Gettysburg yeah um, and it's you got to really look close at that picture and uh, They've cropped it and zoomed in and said, oh, yes, this is Lincoln. And then the way that they could tell it is, is him, I was reading earlier, is that to the right of him is his actual bodyguard. Because if you look at the picture, he doesn't have the top hat on. Correct. And um, I know why he didn't have the top hat on. So I told tell you us. I have a little secret Oh, story. are you going to okay. tell us now or later? Oh, I can tell you now. Okay, tell um, me. So like I said, he traveled by train, of right. course. That was the... 
you know, means of travel back then. Um, but while he was on the train, he was complaining to his secretary and those on board that he wasn't feeling well. You know, he was feeling weak, dizzy. Um, and then there's reports that he actually wrote the Gettysburg Address on a train there. He started it in Washington and worked on it there and actually finished it up at the Wills house the night before. But um, during that transportation, so to speak, in that night, he kept complaining about getting hot and dizzy and, and things like that. And during the actual, when he was speaking, um, people reported that he he just didn't appear himself, like he was real clammy looking and like he was sick. Well, it turns out when he went back to Washington, they found out he had smallpox. So he actually gave the Gettysburg Address with smallpox. Hmm. So that's why he didn't have his hat on at the time because he was he was suffering from a fever. He took his hat off because he was hot. So how smallpox transmitted? How I don't, you're the science teacher? What'd you tell me? Anyways, it's a, it's it's transmitted by. Oh, I just read it here. It says through the blood, fluid, or through the air. So, so, so president could have passed smallpox on to some of these people. There were ten thousand oh, people there waiting for these speeches, or even the people that were, uh, you know, on the train too, that that rode with him. Yeah, they probably got it too. So, wow, I did not know that. That was, yeah, wow. That's totally new information for me. So anyways, yeah, that's why that, uh, in that picture, he's not wearing his top hat. But, um, so see, I threw a little tidbit in there. You did. You didn't know You had a tidbit. Yeah. Okay, so anyways, it's a big affair. They're donating, or they're dedicating the National Cemetery. Um, and it was twofold, basically. There was... There was all these bodies everywhere. They had to get the town cleaned up. Um, and so they, they they put together the program to dedicate the, or to dedicate the cemetery. And um, the event begins, and there's thousands of people what would you say 10 10,000 10, people 000 were people. supposedly there waiting for him when the um as you called it parade, parade. and i can't think of a, a, the procession that procession that's okay. the word when the procession actually arrived they arrived to they said over 10,000 people waiting yeah. now buried in that cemetery are only union soldiers right so even during this dedication, they were still putting bodies in the ground. Right, it was not complete. The, it wasn't finished. Right. Um, and the Confederate soldiers were still buried out in shallow graves, the ones that didn't go back with the Confederacy. So, you know, there was still, I mean, we're talking, this town was Yeah, it, 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 wasn't, so. it wasn't quite up to par yet, but it would become better. But, yeah. you know. Um, so there's some controversy about the actual Gettysburg Address anyways, okay? 
first of all, there were, I think, two or three photographers that were present. Nobody has an actual photograph of Abraham Lincoln giving the Gettysburg Address. Right. One, number one, and I'll explain why. Mm-hmm. Number two is the location of where the platform the was. platform was where it actually gave the Gettysburg Address. There's some controversy over that. And there was something else, but it escaped my memory. Oh, the third thing is, you know, everyone refers to this as the Gettysburg Address, and it's not. It, that was only Abraham Lincoln's speech, which only lasted about two minutes. Right. And that includes time when people were... Well, in between some I, of the things yeah, that he was saying. From what I read is after he was done speaking, there was very little applause. Right. Because basically they didn't know he was done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was a, a quiet laugh, clapper, yeah, like, clapping. Uh, okay, that's and, it. And then he sat down and everybody was just like looking like, are, is he done? <laughs> yeah. They didn't realize he was done. So uh, Abraham Lincoln was scheduled to speak. After Ever Edward Everett, who got up and spoke for two hours. Yeah. Edward Everett's speech was 13,067 words long. <laughs> okay. Um, when he was done, great applause, roar, whatever. Abraham Lincoln gets up, speaks for two minutes. So the reason why they didn't get a photograph of him is because previous to that, here's this guy up there talking for two hours, and they're snapping pictures, which, you know, we're used to snap, 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 snap. But back then, it actually took 18 to 20 seconds to take a photo. Plus, you had to have the time of, you know, prepping the plate and putting the plate in, you know. Yeah, so, you know, those photographers were like, we got time, you know. We don't have to worry about it right away. They weren't prepped to take a picture of Abraham Lincoln, before they knew it, it was done. It's like, oh, we didn't get a picture. Yeah. Can you stand back up there for me, sir? Because, you know, we missed it. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, the location of where the platform was, um, there's some controversy. And if you've ever uh, went to Gettysburg and actually visit the National Cemetery, highly recommend it if you haven't. When you uh, walk in uh, the one side, I don't know if it's east or west side or whatever, but when you walk in the one side and you walk up, you'll see like a pagoda that a lot of people think, oh, that's where the Gettysburg Address was. No, it wasn't. That is actually a platform that they built when they established a national cemetery for future dignitaries to come and give presentations and stuff. Yeah, and there have been several U.S. presidents that have done that and... Um, senators and presidents and things like that. But not Abraham Lincoln. Not Abraham Lincoln. And if you go up a little ways to the right, you'll actually see a a memorial uh, for the Gettysburg Address. And a lot of people think that's where it was given. No. That also is wrong. That is wrong as well. It was actually, the platform was actually in the Evergreen Cemetery. Um, And it was off the property of the uh the national cemetery 
and the reason why we know that and if you look at some of the photographs that they have geographically you can see the a flagpole that's not too far from the platform that's where the monument stands now it wasn't there at the time right and off in a distance you see Culp's Hill to the right mm -hmm. and to the left you see the arches of Evergreen Cemetery so geographically that places the platform within Evergreen Cemetery right yeah it's a it was supposedly near the edge of the um, National Cemetery but definitely within uh, the Evergreen Cemetery that's right now we went there last year it took our group yes we've been there several times but the last time was last year yep um, but what I was getting at is we went to the location where we think um, based on those photographs where that platform was and we made a video mm -hmm. recreating the um, Gettysburg Address right which was the speech of Abraham Lincoln yes and you did a very good job reading that <sighs> Yeah, I I played Lincoln. You played Lincoln. I don't know. We probably should have had a guy play Lincoln, but that's no, all right. you did well. <laughs> you did well. That's what I'm trying to. Okay. Um, what are you looking for? That right there. Oh, the actual. So, do they still teach this in school? I, um, I hope they you do. You know, I I'm not sure. Uh, if it's in the new standards or not. But I know that with the new standards, at least here in Ohio, uh, they are going back to historical documents and making historical documents something that the kids have to uh, learn and discuss. And uh, so it may be back in the curriculum. I'm not sure, though. I would have to I ask my so. history friends. But All right, so the Gettysburg Address starts out with four score and seven years ago. Yes. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Mm -hmm. A score equals 20 years. So four score and seven would have been 87 years. Prior to November 19, 1863, which refers to 1776, the American Revolution. So that's what four score and seven years means. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if people would know that or not. Okay. Did you know a score was 20 years? I did at one point, yes. Yeah, and then you forgot it. I, okay. it so four scores, 80 years. a lot of things I've forgotten over the years. All right, so why don't you go ahead and read the... Uh, oh, you want me to read the Yeah, I want you to do it again. You did so well last time. Okay. Okay, so here's the Gettysburg Address in case you've never heard it before. Which I can't believe people didn't, but okay. Uh, four score and seven years ago... Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that a nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, 
We cannot dedicate. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task of remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government, of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Man, that gives me goosebumps. So, <laughs> those words mm-hmm. is what is considered the Gettysburg Address. Yes. And what most people in history remember about this whole day-long presentation going on. That was that was roughly two minutes. Mm-hmm. Again, inc- I don't know how long it took me to read it, but I'm sure he had a little more emphasis in certain places. Plus, and he was sick. They had... And they had, you know, clapping that happened uh, at several times. From what I know through um, reading the Gettysburg Address that was listed in the New York Times, there was five applause breaks during During that that particular um, speech. So, like I said, um, Edward Everett, which I didn't even hear of until we went to Gettysburg, to be quite honest with you. I never even yeah, heard of Yeah, he's a really well-known great orator <coughs> of the time. He's like the he guy. He for two hours, 13,067 words, published his speech into a book, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gettysburg Address, about three minutes long is what I heard uh, or read. Um, ten sentences. That's what we remember from that day. Right. I find that awesome. It's just those words are just, you know, and he wrote it on his way there. And and they just thought, well, maybe we better invite the president. I don't know. He's probably not going to show up. What would it hurt? You know, cost of postage. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just find the whole thing that, that went down just fate. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is amazing. Uh, it's sad that he was actually an afterthought that they didn't. Well, maybe we should invite the president, you know. Uh, but that he showed up, that he did it, that he finished it while he was there, um, that his speech was so short but so. Well remembered, powerful, yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about some little tidbits about the Gettysburg Address and 
and some of the things. Um, I'll have one for you be- right now before we go. Okay. He's okay. like really getting excited about these tidbits. Well, See why I get so excited about tidbits? Abraham Lincoln, he was one of my favorite presidents. Another one of my favorite presidents was who? Of course, Kennedy. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Here's a tidbit about Kennedy. You ready? Okay. All right. <laughs> and this one actually does give me goosebumps. Kennedy gave a speech a hundred years after this. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. November 19th. Okay. 1963. Gotcha. I'm trying to find it here because... No, it's down here. Okay, no, the speech was in July of 63. All right. His speech was five score years ago. And I think he was at Gettysburg. Because he says, five score years ago, the ground on which we here stand shuddered under the clash of arms and was consecrated for all time by the blood of American manhood. Abraham Lincoln, in dedicating this great battlefield, has expressed in words too eloquent for paraphrase or summary why this sacrifice was necessary. So I believe he was at that you know, same place mm-hmm. and made that speech. Mm-hmm. But three days after the actual Gettysburg Address, which was November 22nd, 103 days after the Gettysburg Address, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Mm. Very. Yeah. I mean, so it moved him, too. Right. You know what I mean? To... Mm-hmm. to Anyways, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll keep on talking about the Gettysburg Address. Okay. Mark your calendars, close your doors, and turn off all the lights. As twice a month, BTE Radio brings you a new episode of The Haunted Spotlight. Sean and Marianne Donnelly of Dark Shadow Ghost Tours dig deep into the archives of the Panic D database and take you inside a different location with each new episode. Learn the rich history and hear the paranormal claims of some of the most infamous and unsuspecting locations from around the country. Ever wonder what roams the property or lurks behind those closed doors? Curious about the true history of that creepy house that sits down the street? Want to know what evidence a paranormal investigation group may have captured? Then find out every other Sunday and tune in to BTE Radio for another chilling episode of The Haunted Spotlight, if you dare. Okay, we're back, and we're talking about the truth about the Gettysburg Address. Um, so, yeah, it was like, uh, you know, a couple minutes long. Abraham Lincoln got up there and spoke, and that's basically what we remember from that day. But um, some of the things afterwards were kind of interesting. Um, and, I, and I find this pretty amazing. The day after... Um, 
the Gettysburg Address the next day, mm-hmm. um, Edward Everett actually wrote a letter to President Lincoln about his uh, speech. And uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, he, he put in a letter. He said, uh, I should be glad if I could flatter myself that I came as near to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. And uh, Lincoln replied back to him that he was glad to know that his speech was not a total failure. Well, yeah, I mean, so, nobody clapped for him. You know, yeah. he thought he well, was a, he <clears throat> thought it didn't go over well. That's exactly what happened. I mean, here's here's a lady. Uh, her name was uh, Sarah Cook Myers, and she gave a interview in 1931 when she was 87 years old. At the time, she was 19. But she attended the the thing. And she said that she was up close and heard the entire, you know, Gettysburg Address. And um, President Lincoln was really stern and serious when he gave it. And afterwards, there was just, like, silence. You know, it was like a delayed response. But... It was because they didn't know he was done talking, basically. Um, but the, she said that when he spoke, um, you could hear him for miles around. That he, you know, they didn't have any microphones back then, but he spoke really loud, you know, when he gave the address. That it was real, you know, of course she was standing up close Yeah, to him I was going to say, she was standing close because from other reports, people at the back of the 10,000 pack weren't able to hear him at all. Yeah, but the point I'm trying to make yeah. is he was he wasn't really um uh oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was kind of proud of what he was saying at the time, you know, so he delivered it very loud and and, and respectful basically. Um and then there's an there's another report and this one's like kind of cool because uh, recorded history, you know, it's kind of hard to find. Like I said, there's no photographs of Lincoln giving the uh, the Gettysburg Address because, you know, the photographers weren't ready to take the picture, and he was just so quick. But um, there was another gentleman, his name was William Rothvon, R-A-T-H-V-O-N. Um, he was a, a little boy, and he actually witnessed... Lincoln arriving at the train station and actually giving the Gettysburg Address and the procession to it. And he gave an audio interview in 1938 at the Boston Studios radio station, WRUL. They recorded it on a 78 RPM. And this was a year before um, this gentleman passed away. And he talked about... um, how Lincoln, in the procession, Lincoln rode a gray horse, and he was so tall that his feet were was almost touching the ground. And uh, there was a military band that followed him, something he's never seen before. Um, and he commented about Edward uh, Everett and how he was elegant and, and everything in his speech. And he also said basically the same thing 
about Lincoln being serious and um, very uh, positive about what he was saying. And uh, he finished up with the, the recording saying that if anybody would have made a comment about Lincoln that day, after the speech, he felt there would be a junior battle of Gettysburg that people would just go at it because they would just felt after Lincoln s- spoke, you know, much respect for the president at the, at the time. So I think that, you know, Lincoln felt that the speech was a failure because he didn't get that immediate response applause, but yet people respected what he was saying and didn't want to interrupt him if he wasn't finished yet. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of like the thing that was uh, going to place, but, um, there's a copy of that record that's at the National Public Radio, NPR, um, and they broadcast that uh, every year, the, the, this recording um, from this gentleman. I would love to hear that. That mm-hmm. would be kind of cool. I mean, he was a boy, and I witnessed the whole thing, and then he recorded it. That's awesome that people would do that, you know. And that recording was made just a year before this gentleman passed away. So, um, that's very cool. I wrote that down so we could kind of research that, see if we could find that recording. Now, as far as the address itself, now, there was rumors that it was, you know, chicken scratch on napkins and that kind of thing, and um, it took him a while to write this thing. Um, He wrote it, started writing it in Washington when he was going uh, and wrote it on a train there and actually worked on it the night before at the Will's house before the thing. Um, but you were going to talk about the copies of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what is there? There's only five known copies of the Gettysburg Address? Correct. There so are. go ahead and... Uh, um, so there are five copies that are known to exist. And apparently the wording has changed a little bit from copy to copy. Uh, the first known copy, or the one that they considered to be the original copy, um, was w- what we call the Nicolay, Nicolay copy. And that one, it was started on White House letterhead, and then it was finished on just a piece of lined paper. Which would lead to the his rumor starting that he it started in, Washington in Washington and finishing it later. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... And what copy was that? Was that that was the Nicolay copy. Okay. And Nicolay was one of his secretaries. The second copy was one that was given to Hay, his other secretary. Now, this one was all on lined paper, and it was lined paper that matched the last page of the Nicolay copy. Okay, so he could have made that copy on the way back, basically. Right, right, okay. yeah. Um, so those are the two or, that they consider to be the original copies. And then um, those two copies are actually at the Library of Congress. They okay. are owned per, by the Library of Congress. Um, Lincoln gave one copy to each of them for safekeeping and things like that. Um, Nicolay's copy was actually given to Hayes and his family after he died by his family. 
And then when Hayes died, eventually their family gave it to the Library of Congress. So those two copies are, are the copies. Um, then there were three additional copies that were made. Now those two copies were made in November of nineteen or eighteen sixty three. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. The three after that were in February and March of sixty four. Okay. So they were made a little bit later. Um, the third copy is one that was actually written for Mr. Everett, who was actually the orator that day in Gettysburg. Um, that was and he the requested the copy. Of yes, it. he requested it um, so that he could put it with his speech in a book uh, and sell it uh, to raise money for the troops at the New York Sanitary Fair. So Lincoln, of course, obliged, and he made a copy. Uh, He hand-wrote him a copy of this speech, and eventually uh, Everett did take that, bind it together with his speech, and sold it, guess how much, at that sanitary fair? $10,000. The whole book? His speech and Lincoln's speech together. Wow. Uh, So where are those at? Do we know? Well... Um, technically the Everett copy is now in Illinois. It is at the, um, Lincoln Presidential Museum, Library and Museum. Uh, that's where it's located now. And, um, it's, it's interesting how it got there because in 1944, Actually, 1943, I believe it was, um, they were trying to get a copy of one of the other copies, mm-hmm. okay? And they're like, no, <laughs> uh-uh. we're keeping it. So in 1944, a bunch of Illinois school children got together and raised money to purchase the Everett copy. Really? And they actually raised $50,306.84. That went towards purchasing a, that copy, the Everett copy, and the other. Um, it was actually purchased for sixty thousand dollars, and the other ten thousand dollars came from Marshall Field, who is the editor and publisher of the Chicago Sun. Uh, but I just think it's amazing that, that the school kids went together, purchased this, yeah, and, that's cool. and you know that that's I love that. Uh, so that's the Everett copy. Did you see who they purchased it from? I did not. Was it the Everett family, maybe? I'm not sure. Well, okay. We'll have to look into that some more. Yeah. I get really... I didn't know that Everett sold them to somebody. Yeah. That's who they yeah. obviously so purchased it from. I don't yeah. know if it ever found its way back to Everett's family or not. I don't know who they ended up purchasing it from. But that's where it ended up uh, is currently at the... Um, Lincoln presidential. Don't even think that we're going to own a copy someday. It's not going to happen. Sorry. No, I don't think any of these people are going to be giving that up anytime no. soon. Uh, so that's the first three copies. And I don't think the Library of Congress is going to give it to me. And I don't think that the uh, Lincoln Presidential uh, Library and Museum is going to give it to me either. So let's talk about the final two copies. Okay. Uh, the final two copies were actually um, given to a gentleman named Bancroft. And he had asked to have a copy for his stepson, Mr. Bliss. 
so that he also could sell it at this same New York Sanitary Fair, but he wanted his in a book that he was putting together as a compilation of all the really important people and their speeches, things like that. So um, he wrote this copy for Bancroft to give to his uh, stepson, Bliss. He did this, but he did it sort of wrong. He wrote it on... He, meaning Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. He wrote it on one sheet of paper, two-sided. But the um, people could not take that and convert that and put it into a book that way. He needed it to be on one side only. So he asked him for another copy. And so... Uh, so that means there's six copies? No, no, five. Um, Bancroft copy was the fourth copy. Okay. The fifth copy becomes what we know as the Bliss copy, which is the copy that Lincoln did the second time for Bancroft for Bliss, his stepson. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So now I got it straight. Okay. The Bancroft so copy. So originally there were four copies, and they asked for another one because he did. Yeah. Them back. Yeah, okay. because Lincoln wrote on both sides of the paper, I guess trying to conserve, you know. Mm. Um, well, he was running a war at the time, too, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. I got to copy yeah. this thing again. And, yeah. Uh, so the Bancroft copy it's a crappy is... crappy speech I no. gave in Gettysburg. These people want copies. I'm trying to run a war here. <laughs> yeah. Give me a break. Really? Two-sided? It's not going to work? Come on. Yeah. But he was more than willing to make a second copy for him. Uh, but the Bancroft copy, the fourth copy, is uh, actually housed now at Cornell University. It's the double-sided version. It's held there. Uh, Cornell has that. how they display that. that. I don't know that Can they see both sides. I, I don't know that they do necessarily. Probably not. It's probably you know? It's like, oh, by the way, if you ever go to the Smithsonian, like half the stuff that's there are like replicas. <laughs> I they know. don't. They don't show you the good stuff. Know, it's good all hidden away. Good stuff locked away. Yeah. Very um, disappointing. Thank you, Ms. Smithsonian. Anyhow, but, okay. the Sorry. fifth rant, copy ran over. The fifth copy, or the Bliss copy, is actually the one that is on display at the White House in the Lincoln bedroom. The real one or a replica? Well, supposedly it's the real one. Okay. Supposedly it's the real one. Um, we'll never see it. Yeah. Uh, we're on too many lists. <laughs> we're going to be if we're not. We'll never get through security. <laughs> but um, I, I find it interesting that... Um, they think that the Everett copy was the first one to use the words under God in it. Okay. However, that copy was not made until February, March, 1864. But if you look at the newsprint article from November 20th of 1863 from the New York Times... It actually does use under God in the text that was printed that day. So, not sure who's right. Yeah, it says right here, the words under God do not appear in the Nicolay and Hay drafts, but are included in the three later copies, Everett, Bancroft, and Bliss. You just said that. According, accordingly, some skeptics maintain that Lincoln did not use or did not utter the words under God at Gettysburg. However, at least three reporters telegraphed 
the text of Lincoln's speech on the day of the address, or day the address was given, and the words under God in, were included. So he had to have used them. Yeah. I mean, why would three different guys yeah. telegraph those words? So maybe he just didn't write it down. Yeah, maybe he didn't or write it down. Or maybe he added it and, while he was talking. Well, yeah, he didn't write it down. He added it while he was talking, and then he knew that he did. So when he wrote the copies for the other gentleman later, he's like, oh, I know I All wrote right, now, this correct in. me if I'm wrong, but the Nicolay and the Hayes drafts were made before the address, right? Right. And then the other three were after. So, yeah, yes. you're right. He probably just added that on the spot. And then in the later ones, he, he put that in there. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is, that's kind of cool. Never knew that one. Learn something new. Yeah. I knew that there were supposedly, like, uh, different versions and the copies had different words. Now, the Nicolay version is actually supposed to be the original original, right? Mm-hmm. And in that one, there are actually, you can see he crossed out words and changed words. So um, that's why they, you know, that and the fact that part of it's on the White House paper and part of it's on the other, they think that's the original. Um, but well, if you look at it, okay, it, this looks like he could have added it. And this is like the most memorable part of the speech anyways. It's the last, the last sentence, sentence right? where it says that this nation, comma, under God, comma, shall have a new birth of freedom. And a government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish. So he, he may have added that mm-hmm. while he was giving the speech. Yeah, and the way I look at it is it was in the New York Times. Of course, we know newspapers get things wrong. But like you said, there were three different telegraph operators who sent that he said under God. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that he probably used those words in the speech. It wasn't written in in the original text, but when he went to make the copies, he's like, oh, by the way, I added this. Yeah. So that's interesting. My That's my theory anyway. Um, I, I concur but, with you on that theory. But I don't know for sure. If there's anybody out there that knows anything different about that, let us know. Please send us a message or a comment because mm-hmm. uh, that's the first I heard that one. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, <coughs> in 1950, in ni- remember in 1944, the, you know, children of Illinois put together the, all the money and they purchased the Everett copy of the thing. In 1950, it was the first time that all five of the, uh, copies of the Gettysburg Address were displayed. And together, they, I, or just I, at one time, I I just found displayed, but I want to say together because um, they said it it happened at the Chicago Historical Society and the Library of Congress. So I'm assuming that they took them all to this one, and then they took them all to this one. I, that's what I'm assuming. But if anybody has any information on that, I would love to know that. But what I find most interesting about that, besides the fact that they were all displayed. It was four score and seven years after he actually gave it. Really? Yes. So 1950, um, four score and seven years after he gave the speech, all of his copies were on display. Can you imagine? Yeah. All seeing all those together at the same time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
This is more goosebumps. <laughs> the hair staying up on the back of my neck. Yeah. So, talking anyway. about a place, somebody to a thief to hit, man. Yeah. I, I better shut up. <laughs> we're, we're, we're putting this out in the public. Yeah. <clears throat> now I. Until several years ago, I was not aware that there were this many copies of the Gettysburg Address. Like I said, I I, I just heard he just scribbled it on a napkin. Yeah. And basically, but, um, you know, I, I heard. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what I was taught in school, you know. But Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, I didn't know that there were this and, many copies originally. You know, and I'm not knocking, uh, you know, history teachers in any way, but... That's probably the way it was written in the history books that the Gettysburg Address was not the purpose of this thing. It was just the name of of Lincoln's speech, right? Which was three minutes, but um, yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, anything else? Um, the only other thing that I I have um, is that the Everett copy that they have at the Lincoln Museum, the Lincoln um, Presidential Library and Museum. Which is on the bucket list to visit. Yes, it is. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to go to that in a couple years when we go to Illinois. Mm -hmm. But um, St. Louis. Yes, but we're going to make a little trip into Illinois when we do that. Uh, uh, In 2005, right before the museum and library opened, uh, it was reframed, and so the current frame that they it, that it's in is actually new as 2005. So. Okay. Well, I got one more little tidbit for you. Okay. And you'll appreciate this being a science teacher. Okay. Um, <clears throat> 2015. This was last year. Okay. The Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Foundation um, put together. Um, this thing that they sent out um, to the world leaders, and they challenged them to craft a 272-word response uh, to celebrate Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address, or related topics. So the Gettysburg Address is 272 words. Okay. One of the replies was from astrophysicist, oh man, another one of those words, um, Neil deGosse Tyson, in which he made the point that one of Lincoln's greatest legacies was establishing, in the same year of the Gettysburg Address, the National Academy of Sciences, which had a long-term effect on setting our nation on a course of scientifically enlightened governance, governance, uh, without which all may perish from the earth. Mm, So he uses some of Lincoln's words. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. I did not know that uh, Lincoln established the National Academy of Sciences that year. I had no idea. But that was um, kind of a cool contest that they put out there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in seeing other responses. Did anybody else respond? What were the what were their responses? I know, dear. I wrote it down for did you. Did you? I know Good, okay. Google later. Yeah. There um, goes the rest of the day. <laughs> but I also find it interesting that Neil deGrasse Tyson... Uh, was listed as one of the leaders. I mean, he's one of the leaders in the scientific community, mm-hmm. uh, but I have not, I wouldn't have thought that he would have been 
sent this thing. Hey, I, that's interesting. I like it. Science I like turn it. into history yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course. Uh, very excited. Very interesting. But I do want to see if I can get my hands on any of the other responses. Well, there's that. a book that they compiled. Yeah, it's the world called uh, Gettysburg Replies. The world responds to Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg, Gettysburg Address. Yeah, I'm um, gonna. I'm gonna have to find that. So they compiled that book of all these responses. I'd love to see that book. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Probably wind up in the Donnelly Library eventually. Oh, I'm sure it will. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Very cool. All right. Well, this is probably going to wrap up this episode. The truth about the Gettysburg Address. I hope you guys out there have uh, learned a little bit. Um, yeah. And if anybody has Maybe any you already more knew all this stuff and know more than what we do. Uh, yeah, if anybody has any additional information, especially on whether or not the uh, five works were all displayed at the same place yeah. at the same time. Uh, we are starting to get comments in. Um, this is our uh, 11th episode. 11th episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so keep them coming. We would like to have you email us though because those other comments on the things we just noticed them not too long ago that people were posting there. yeah we but don't get a we don't get anything that says hey no, somebody put a comment so we have to go back through each each podcast and look at those comments so if it was a while before we replied back we apologize but um the best way to leave us a message is actually go to our blog site which is untold history revealed dot blogspot dot com and scroll down, and there's a little form there that you can fill out, and it'll actually shoot us an email message. Um, that's actually the easiest way to get a hold of us because it comes right up in our regular email, and then we'll reply back to you or answer your comments and questions on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm waiting for them to come in because uh, we will uh, we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll be able to have, eventually, we'll be able to have a podcast solely based on the comments that we got back. That would be cool. That'd be awesome. We'll do it. Sure, why not? Um, but until next time, uh, this is Sean. And I'm Marianne. And have a good evening. Thanks for listening.